You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday for worship at 8.30 or 10.45. Find out more at asburybosier.org. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you. I call attention to, uh, this should be in the pews, this color-coded copy uh, of our scripture lesson today. It's always a good thing to bring your Bible to church, but just in case you didn't bring it today, that's okay. I gave you, even though it's going to be on the screens, uh, but I gave you a little copy so that we can walk through this together, so I call your attention to that. Uh, Before we get started, uh, so where was I the last four weeks? Uh, First, I want to say thank you uh, to Pastor Susan uh, and lay leader uh, David Burroughs uh, over these last four weeks, and uh, Staff Parish Relations, who allowed me uh, uh, this time away for four weeks. Nothing is wrong. It was a clergy Sabbath renewal. And kind of the trick to a clergy Sabbath renewal is to fall in love with just being. Now, there are continuing education retreats. There are uh, study leaves where you go and you study something and come back with a new learning. Uh, there are vacations and just for, for all the parents out there, you'll, you'll, you'll feel me when I say this. There's a difference between a vacation and a memory-making trip, right? That'll make more sense in just a minute. When you, bring, when you go somewhere with your kids, the, when, you, when you get back and the person says, how was your vacation? You kind of want to punch them in the throat a little bit. It's, not a, it's a memory-making trip with your children. It's not the same as a vacation. Anyway, uh, so, uh, you know, Clergy Sabbath renewal is falling in love with just being. To come to that revelation that you are not what you produce. You are more than your work. These kinds of things. Uh, I was telling John Juno uh, earlier this morning. Uh, so I was here, I was preaching on June 6th. Uh, and then, but on Monday, June 7th, by 3.30 in the afternoon, I was literally pacing the living room. What am I supposed to be doing with myself? I, I, I don't know. it, And I wasn't nervous about the church. We were in good hands. I wasn't worried about Asbury. I was worried about me. Like, what am I supposed to be doing with myself right now? Because the point is not to go away for clergy renewal. And the time that you invested in the office is now time to pick something else up. Right? The point is not to, I'm now going to read all of Karl Barth's dogmatics. Or I'm going to climb Mount Everest while I'm away and get on this right. No, no, no. It's not to replace that that, that, that regimen and, and that time with something else. It's simply to be. Simply to be. So I spent a week trying to figure that out. Uh, and and on, on some cases I failed with that because I finished a writing project with Abingdon during that week and also started another one that's coming out next year, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I also, I'm in, I, I auditioned for a musical. So I'm going to be in a musical in a couple of weeks. Because I just, I'm pacing the living room. I don't know what to do with myself. Uh, it's called Children of Eden. Uh, I would love everyone to be there. It's next weekend, the 24th, the 23rd and the 24th um, uh, in the evenings. And there's also a matinee next Saturday. It's at First Baptist in Shreveport. It's a fantastic show. If you don't know Children of Eden, written by the same guy who did Godspell, same guy who did Pippin and Wicked, if you know, if you know Broadway. The first act is about God, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. And then the second act is about Noah and his family. Uh, and I'm playing the role of God uh, in, in the story, which Christy, my wife, absolutely loves. She loves that every day for a couple hours I get to pretend to be God. You know, and then I come home, you know, after being God for three hours. And 
no one even makes me a sandwich. So it's just this interesting way to live right now. But I encourage you, First Baptist Church, next weekend, the 23rd and 24th, Children of Eden. Uh, it's a fantastic musical uh, if, if you don't know it. So spent a week trying to fall in love with just being. Harder, it's, it's easier said than done. Then we took the kids to the mountains, to the Smokies. They hadn't, been, they hadn't seen mountains before with their own eyes, and that was fun. Uh, believe it or not, I'm glad you're all sitting down. The Rawls actually went on hikes. Can you believe it? We had family physical activity. That's new, right? So we, did, we went some hikes and saw waterfalls. It was great. Uh, then we went to the beach for a week. So we had our own little, like, America the Beautiful tour, right, from sea to shining sea, from the mountains to the, to the prairies to the beach. Uh, it was great. And then uh, a week getting back into it, trying to get back into the office. And so thank you uh, for allowing me that, that time away. But we are back, and we are here, and we are going to have a short summer of psalms, uh, as you see from, from, from the graphic there. Uh, so let's dive into our first one, our first psalm and our short summer of psalms. We could do a long summer of psalms. Now, there are um, 150 psalms uh, in the book of Psalms, and there's something like 72 days, 76 days, 76 days of summer, if you count the day after kids get out of school and then the day before they go back, there are 76 days. So a great summer reading schedule for you, if not this summer, because we it's a short summer psalms because we're starting halfway. Uh, but when next summer starts, I encourage you, the day after kids get out of school and the day before, it's something like 76 days, which means if you read two psalms a day, you can read the entire book of psalms. And I encourage you to do that, your own little summer reading. I mean, kids are reading, right? They have summer reading. Uh, oh, pray for my kids. Because Isabel's summer reading is To Kill a Mockingbird. And Annalise's summer reading is A Christmas Carol. And they have the great blessing of having a dad who's written a book on both of those books. So pray for them. Isabel read she, she, um, her first day, because we, we like set a timer, we're going to do this. High school baby, she's going to be a freshman next year. Pardon me while I get my cane out. What, when did that happen? She's going to be a high schooler next year. I said, all right, we're going to set a timer. We're going to read every day because there are 30. This, have you noticed how I work? There are 31 days in, in July, and there are 31 chapters of To Kill a Mockingbird. So do the math. If you read a chapter a day, you will be finished, right? So the first day, she goes up to her room, and she reads chapter one. She comes downstairs, and she goes, Dad, I read chapter one. I said, great. Now I'm going to quiz you. Daddy wrote a book on To Kill a Mockingbird. Daddy's going to quiz you. Three questions in. <laughs> I love it. Isabel said, well, I kind of skimmed chapter one. Like, uh -huh, yeah, 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 yeah. Mm, get back, go, get back up and read. All right, so pray for them uh, for when daddy quizzes them on their, on their reading. Because I'll do things like, what is the scriptural significance of Atticus Finch? Depending, blah, blah, blah. And like, the, all the quizzes online say, like, what's the name of the dog, right? In this, you know, um, yeah, Annalise reading a Christmas carol. Uh, uh, and, and, and she just got to the part where, where the knocker on the door became the face of, of Marley, you know. Jacob Marley. So, I, you know, my, my quiz is like, what is the spiritual significance of this doorway being in the shape of the, in, you know. It's like, Dad, all I have to know is, you know, the name of the counting house, you know. So pray for them uh, as they do their, their summer reading. 
enough of, let's talk, let's talk about scripture. Our scripture lesson today, so excited to be back, I can't stop talking. Great. Psalm 86 is our scripture lesson today. We're never going to make it to lunch. <laughs> scripture reading, Psalm 86, and I have it, it'll be on the screens and it's also in your Bible, but I gave you this color-coded copy as we walk through it, so I'd love for you to, to follow along as we do this. Psalm 86, uh, in your Bible, on the screens, let us hear the word of the Lord. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am devoted to you. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all day long. Gladden the soul of your servant. For you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call on you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my cry of supplication. In the day of my trouble, I call on you, for you will answer me. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord. None are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and bow down before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name, for you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart to revere your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. O God, the insolent rise up against me, and a band of ruffians seek my life, and they do not set you before them, but you, O Lord, are a God of mercy and grace, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant, save the child of your serving girl. Show me a sign of your favor so that those who hate me may see it and be put to shame. Because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You know, there's great wisdom in the Psalms. This concluding benediction in the Psalm where it says, Show me a sign of your favor so that those who hate me may see it and be put to shame. It reminds me of an ancient Irish blessing that says, O Lord, may those who love us, love us. And for those who do not, Lord, may you turn their ankles so we recognize them by their limp. Right? Uh, there's great wisdom in these psalms that goes through the generations to generations. The first thing to know about these psalms is that we're reading poetry. Poetry is not the same as command. It is not the same as instruction. It is not the same as blueprint. All of these things exist in, in Scripture. But the Psalms in particular are words to God and words about God. Now, when we read Scripture, we say the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. But what is packed away in that saying is may this Scripture point us to Christ Jesus is the word 
of God. This library that we call scripture, that we call the Bible, are words to God, words about God, words from God that point us to the word of God. And that's not being blasphemous. That's not treating scripture as not important. Scripture is our primary source. Scripture is where we go to first. What it, it's, it's a liken to a piece of music, the notes on the page versus the song itself. In the hymnal, when you're reading the hymnal, when you're reading the notes, that's different than singing the song. So the words about God, these words to God, these words of God point us to the Word, who is the Christ. Does that make sense? The notes on the page are not the song itself. The words in the book are not the relationship itself. Right? And the Psalms remind us of this because the Psalms, is, they're poetry to God, poetry about God, human interaction with trying to wrestle with who this God is. And one of the things I love about the Psalms are their honesty. The Psalms help us take off our mask. Because some of the songs are lament. Some of the songs are angry. Some of the songs ask, where are you, Lord? Because sometimes we approach, we, we approach Scripture and, and, and approach our relationship with God as if we can't say we have to, keep a, we have to be per perfect. But the Psalms give us permission to say, I'm, I am not with it today, Lord. I need you. That's where this starts. It starts, incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. I am in need of you. The psalm starts with the assumption that we are not islands, that we are not as independent as we think we are. It starts with the assumption that we do, in fact, need God. In the moment that we think we don't, is a story as ancient as stories itself. When the man and woman eat of the forbidden fruit in the garden, what they're doing is they're saying, God, we don't need you anymore. Our eyes are opened. We can be just like you. <coughs> we need God. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. We start Summer of Psalms with Psalm 86 because almost all of this language, if you're reading sequentially, beginning with Psalm number one, all the way to 86, almost all of this language that is in Psalm 86 is in other Psalms. It's not that Psalm 86 is a summary, but a lot of this language has already been heard throughout the Psalms. So we start here. If we have to skip ahead, one, two, skip a few, 99, 100, Psalm 86 is a good one to start with because this language has already been found in the other Psalms. So we're reading poetry, we're reading words about God, word to God, words to God to point us to the word, to point us to good news, to point us to the person of Jesus and our relationship with Christ. As we read Psalm 86, another beautiful thing about the Psalms becomes apparent and it's called listening twice the first time. I can't remember exactly when I heard this. I think I heard this. There was, we were at a park and I was with Isabel and I heard a dad say this to his kids because they were about to leave and get in the car and go somewhere. He goes, hey, hey, listen twice the first time. I'm not going to repeat myself. 
We are leaving in five minutes, right? This is great advice with kids. Listen twice the first time. Hebrew poetry is built this way because it says the same thing more than once. If you look at verse 6, for example, verse 6, give ear, O Lord, to my prayer, listen to my cry of supplication. That is the architecture of Hebrew poetry. It's not iambic pentameter. It's not Dr. Seuss. It doesn't rhyme. But what it does do, it says the same thing more than once in different ways. Give ear is the same as listen to, right? To my prayer or my cry of supplication. It says the same thing more than once in different ways because it's almost, it's almost as if the poet wants your heart to beat with God's. And the only way to recognize a heartbeat is to find rhythm over and over again. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to the cry of my supplication. So on a small level, there are lines that repeat each other. Looking at the psalm as a whole, and I, I did my best to kind of show this, verses 1 through 5 is the psalm. And then the psalm is repeated using different language and different words from 6 to 10. And then the psalm repeats itself again using different words beginning with verse 11 through verse 15. And then there is a benediction at the end. And this happens more than once in scripture. One of my favorite examples of this, of saying the same thing but in a different way, is right in the heart of Mark's gospel. In the heart of Mark's gospel, it's such a fascinating story. There's a man and he's blind and Jesus spits in the ground and makes mud and puts the mud on his eyes and says, what do you see? And he goes, well, I, I see people but they look like trees walking around. And he doesn't, I can see clearly. He can't see clearly now. He sees, but not quite. So Jesus, it's the only example of Jesus doing a miracle more than once. Fascinating. Jesus does it again. He spits in the mind, gets put on his side, and then he can see clearly. And the story just kind of is left. But then there's a story of Jesus, sorry, getting used to being back. Then there's a story of Jesus and the disciples, and, and Jesus says, who do they say that I am? Well, you're Elijah, you're a prophet, you're a teacher. They can see who Jesus is, but not clearly. Who do you say that I am? You are the Messiah. Ah, now they see clearly. In other words, this section of Mark chapter 8, right in the middle of the gospel, is the same story told in two very different ways. Are we seeing Jesus clearly? Is the point. In one way... It is a healing story. It is a miracle story. In another, it is a narrative with the disciples communicating the same thing in two different ways. And that's what this psalm does. It uses language that we've heard throughout the rest of the psalms and it puts them in three stanzas and it reminds us of who God is. Incline your ear, O Lord. is the same as saying, give ear, O Lord, like in verse 6. And then 11, there's a slight change. Teach me, O Lord. Now that I've heard you, teach me so that I may follow. And then each section ends with the same kind of refrain, for you, O Lord, are good and forgiving. Verse 10, for you are great and do wondrous things. Verse 15, for you, O Lord, are God merciful 
and gracious. This refrain, Lord, you are gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, is from Exodus. Do you know the context of this? Why God had to say, I am slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and I am merciful? What happens is Moses goes up the mountain and God has written the commandments on tablets. And not just 10 of them, like a lot of them. If you read the story, it's not just 10. It's not the Mel Brooks thing where he has like three tablets and he goes, I have the 15 commandments of God. And he drops one and says, oh, I have the 10 commandments of God. It's not just 10 commandments that are on there. It's God's law is on there. It's great as you're reading that heart of Exodus of all the things that God is, is telling Moses. So Moses comes back down the mountain. And what does Moses find? Well, they've made a golden calf. And Aaron says, but you, you've been on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. And, and we thought you weren't coming back. So, so we gathered gold and, and we put it in the fire in this, which is the funniest, one of the funniest lines in all of scripture. <laughs> when Moses asks about what is this golden calf that's here? Aaron says, it just came out of the fire that way. I don't know. <laughs> like deflect, it wasn't me, it wasn't me. I don't know, Moses just came out that way, right? Oh, oy vey, I can hear Moses now saying, oh, geez. You know, so Moses gets angry and he throws the tablets down and which is not often preached. He goes, everyone who's with me, get over here. Everyone who's not with me, get over here. And then everyone on this side, he gives them swords and says, take them out. And it says that 3000 people died that day. Moses is not happy with the people. So God calls him back up the mountain. And before Moses is allowed to go back to the people, God says, Moses, all right, so you, you destroyed the first tablets I gave you, okay? You're mad at the people. I understand that. I am slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Before you go back down the mountain to those people, Let's start there. I am slow to anger and bounding in steadfast love. That refrain happens over and over and over again because when we are in a time of despair, when we have found ourselves in a pit of darkness, or as the psalm says, in Sheol, that land that is very distant from God, we pray that that promise made on the top of the mountain stays firm, that God is slow to anger and steadfast in love because so often we, we are not. The real beautiful thing of this psalm is the word that's not there. But it's also a word that carries the psalm through its entirety. And that word is why. For example, verse 1. Incline your ear to me, O Lord, and answer me. Why? For I am poor and needy. Preserve my life. Why? For I am devoted to you. Save your servant. Why? Because I trust in you. You are my God, be gracious to me, O Lord. Why? why? Why is God your God? Because I cry to you all day. 
gladden the soul of your servant. To you I lift up my soul, which in Hebrew means all of my being. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving. Why? Because you are abounding in steadfast love to all who call you. The word why is not there, but it is the constant engine that is driving this entire psalm. It's as if, have you been near a three-year-old ever in your life? Hey, we're going to have breakfast. Why? Because you need to eat something. Why? So that you can be healthy. Why? Right? And then and what happens, right? What's the end of that chain? Because I'm your father and I told you. this Because I said so. Right? Why is a great question to ask when you are making goals, when you are up against a dramatic change in your life, whether it's vocation or location or you're moving or you're trying to make a big decision. I need to change jobs. Why? Well, because I'm not happy where I am. Why? Well, when I come home, I'm, I'm, I'm just exhausted. Why? It's a good question to ask. We need, we need to move. Why? Because I'm not happy where I am. Why? Well, because the, the people around me are, why? This psalm encourages us to live into that engine of why. Not so that at the end of it we say, because I'm your father and I said so. The psalmist finally gets to, because you are my God and I trust you. You are my God and I trust you. So I encourage you this week to ask why. And it's fancy for me to say because I've been doing it for four weeks. <laughs> in the mountains and on the beach and at home. And Why do I do the things I do? It's a lovely question. And it doesn't have to start with this deep, profound, like, let me read Kierkegaard and figure out the secret to life. And No, start with something very simple. Start with something very basic. I want pizza to, or, or uh, I want the sermon to go ahead and end so I can make lunch notes. So I can, I can go ahead and make lunch reservations. Because I want pizza. Why? Start there. Start simple. Trust me. It won't be long before that question gets very deep and quite profound. And I hope that at the end of that question, why, you will say, because you are God. And I trust you. May we find ourselves looking God face to face, saying, you are my God, in you I place my trust. Or as the psalmist says, incline your ear to me, O Lord. I am poor and needy. Preserve my life. Why? Because I am devoted to you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for you do, uh, for to you I cry all day long. Gladden the soul of your servant. For to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. For you are good and forgiving. 
abounding in steadfast love to all who call on you. May God be at the end of our why. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious and most loving God, we hear over and over again that you are slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Father, reveal to us that this is true. Give us the courage to call out to you. Give us the courage to know that we are in need of your divine grace. Pour out upon us your spirit so that we might ask why and so that we might find you as the answer. Gracious Father, be with us. In times of plenty, in times of scarcity, in times of celebration, and in times of poverty of spirit. You are our God. We love you. And we trust you. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.